This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 250. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk, and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 24 in my Metamore City novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. The Incubus John H. has been taken into custody by the Lightbringers. He was originally suspected of having accidentally killed high school senior Chase Tomley during an orgy that got out of hand. Chase had disappeared after the party, leaving his car behind. Emergency services had searched for him all over town, but had found no sign of him. In truth, John knows exactly where Chase is, He's hiding out at the home of Kate's parents, Sam and Lisa Catane. Nobody knew it until two days ago, but Chase was an incipient incubus, and the orgy triggered his transformation into his mature Daedra form. Unfortunately, Chase isn't fully in control of his abilities, and John wants to keep him clear of the Lightbringers until he can learn how to control them. But that means that John is stuck in Lightbringer custody. John was interrogated by the agent in charge, a woman named Nazreen Kishani. She was soon convinced that John hadn't screwed up and killed Chase by accident. His file shows that he has good control over his powers. But she could also tell that he was hiding something, and she intended to find out what it was. She left him with a well-worn book for entertainment, a steamy lesbian romance novel called Honor Bound. That night, Kate used a spell to appear to John in his dreams. She had been trying all day to get him released, but the Lightbringers wouldn't tell her why he was being held. John explained the situation, and why he was under suspicion. He told her that Chase needs to get somewhere safe, and then call his parents and let them know that he's alive. Once the search for Chase is called off, the Lightbringers should let John go. Chase has a number of options— He could go to John's temple in Metamore, or ask for protection from Kate's landlady, Ms. Fallon, or he could take his chances with one of the hedonist temples closer to Bridger Heights. Whatever he does, though, he needs to decide quickly. The next morning, after John had finished reading the book, Agent Kishani came to speak with him again. To John's surprise, she seemed friendly, even solicitous, but also nervous, John suddenly realized what was happening. Agent Kashani had expected him to use his shapeshifting talents to try to seduce her, perhaps in exchange for his freedom. 
She had even given him one of her favorite romance novels, so he would know exactly what buttons to push. Rather than giving in to this manipulation, John sat Kashani down and explained to her the central problem. Right now, she holds absolute power over John's freedom, even over his life. It simply isn't possible for him to give his consent in a situation like that. Kashani confessed that she hadn't thought about it in those terms. She's a sexual submissive, and she was counting on John being the dominant one in the encounter. But since she still holds all the real power in the situation, that doesn't help matters. It's still coercion, even if she's topping from the bottom. Chastened, Kashani admitted that she doesn't have anyone she can talk to about her kinks and sexual desires. None of what she wants and needs was acceptable in her strict, conservative family, and there's no one she can talk to about it at work, either. She apologized, and John forgave her. And then, because she still has so many questions about kink, sex, and other related things, she asked to stay and talk for a while. John was happy to help. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamorph City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 24 Talking to Nazreen Kishani turned out to be quite enjoyable. Now that she felt free to be herself, the Lightbringer's stuffiness fell away, revealing a clever, curious, and surprisingly funny human being. John enjoyed the role of impromptu sex ed instructor. It was one of the reasons he had volunteered for missionary work in the first place. And Nazreen was a very interactive student, asking thoughtful questions and making connections between the book and real-world applications. Twice she had to leave John's cell to attend to other business, but she kept coming back to continue the conversation. Around noon, she looked at the clock on her phone, then gave John a measuring look. Listen, the food here is not great. Do you want to go get some lunch? There's a good Hanis place about five minutes from here. I'll have to put a location tracker on you, but you won't be in cuffs or anything. John considered. You buying? She nodded. All right, I accept. The restaurant was, in fact, only average at best. Given that John was a former member of the ruling class, though, and a resident of a large cosmopolitan city, he supposed that his standards were unreasonably high, and he kept his opinion to himself. In any case, the company was pleasant, and it was a relief to see the sun again. Nazarene's questioning turned away from the practical matters of kink relationships and on to John's personal life. He answered as honestly as he could, while avoiding anything that would get him into trouble with Mistress Jasmine or reveal too much about Kate's current situation. They had finished eating and were waiting for the check when Nazreen got a call. Agent Kashani, she said, still smiling from something John had said. He couldn't make out what the person on the other end told her, but in seconds the smile faded, replaced by that severe, distant look of Lightbringer detachment. Copy that, she said. I'll be right there. She hung up without another word and slipped the phone back in her jacket pocket. Bad news? John asked quietly. We'll see. 
She did not sound angry at him, but the conversation was clearly over. Nazreen was gone. Agent Kashani was back. John's stomach turned in anxious knots until the server arrived. Kashani put cash on the table, and they left without waiting for change. John Skimmer was waiting in the field office parking lot when John and Kashani got there. There were two new ground cars as well, Sam Katane's car and Emily's truck. Instead of going in through the garage, Kashani parked out front and led him to the main entrance. The lobby had a small waiting area, separated from the receptionist's desk by a wall of bulletproof glass, giving it the look of a doctor's office in a crime-ridden neighborhood. Most of the seats were occupied. John quickly glanced around as he approached the doors and saw Kate, Sam, Lisa, Emily, and Chase. One of Kashani's agents was looming over Kate, his hand near his shoulder rig, while two others stood uncertainly near the doors, as if they thought that someone might make a run for it. Kate was showing her horns and tail openly, though she still wore the glamour that restored her usual skin tone. Her face was flushed, and she had an obstinate expression that John recognized all too well. Her tail was in the air behind her and lashing with agitation. Sam and Lisa were perched to either side of her, hands on her shoulders. Supportive, but also cautioning restraint. Emily's eyes darted back and forth between them and the Lightbringers, wide and worried, while her hand clutched Chase's so tightly that her knuckles had gone white. Chase looked scared but stoic, like a condemned man waiting for his sentence to be handed down. Kate was saying something. Well, probably yelling something, judging from her body language. But she cut herself off as Kashani and John entered the building. Shock flitted across her features, followed a moment later by relief. She leapt to her feet, pushed past two of the agents, and wrapped John in a tight hug. You're okay, she whispered, as if she couldn't believe it. I'm okay, John confirmed, squeezing her back and pressing his forehead to hers. They said you weren't here. I thought they were lying. I apologize for the misunderstanding, Lieutenant Katane, Kishani said. If I had known you were coming, I would have left clearer instructions for my staff. She frowned quizzically at Kate's horns and tail, started to ask something, then apparently thought better of it. Instead, she turned to the looming agent and asked, Benson, what's going on here? Benson turned away from Kate and stood at attention before Kashani. He nodded back over his shoulder in Chase's direction. This incubus came in to confess about twenty minutes ago. He says we got the wrong guy, that he started that orgy at the Lake Forest house. He looked at Kate, and his lip curled in obvious displeasure. About five minutes later, that woman comes barging in here, trying to get him to leave. Then these others showed up and, well... He shrugged stiffly, obviously uncomfortable. I told them that they would all just have to wait till you got back. Kashani rubbed the bridge of her nose and sighed. Thank you, Benson. That's... that's fine. Here. She tossed him her keys. Pull the car into the garage, please. He saluted smartly. Mem, he said, then walked out the front door. Kashani turned to the other two agents. Return to your duties. I'll take it from here.
The Lightbringers nodded silently, then exited through the back door into the station proper. Agent Kashani sat down on one of the empty chairs, on the opposite side of the room from where everyone else was clustered. John sat down next to Lisa, and Kate plopped down on his other side. All right, Kishani said wearily. Let's take this from the top. She pointed to Chase. You, who are you and what are you doing in my station? Chase sat up a bit straighter, took a deep breath. The words that came out of him sounded calm and rehearsed. My name is Chase Tomley. Last night I turned into this. He gestured at his new incubus form. I know I have powers, but I don't know how to control them. The weird storm thing at the party? That was my fault. He glanced over at John, then back to Kashani. John was just trying to help me. You shouldn't have locked him up. Kashani looked sharply over at John. You knew about this? Why didn't you say anything? John shrugged. It wasn't my secret to tell. The Lightbringer sucked her lips against her teeth, her fists clenching and releasing. You know a few things about secrets, John thought. It wasn't all Chase's fault either, Kate said suddenly. All eyes turned to look at her. A muscle jumped in her jaw, but she kept her eyes on Kishani and pressed on. I can absorb and control essence. I have Starson blood, and apparently this is one of the perks that came with it. She waved a hand vaguely at her forehead. Only I don't really know what I'm doing yet. I've basically spent the last three days being a succubus because I accidentally took some essence from John. Kashani sat slowly back in her chair, her eyes wide. Gods, that's a hell of a talent, detective. She frowned slightly. And potentially very dangerous, and not just to you. I'm starting to get that. Kate said dryly. Then her expression sobered. The lust storm never would have happened if I hadn't been there. I was sending out a lot of essence, and I wasn't thinking about where it was all going. I wasn't in the room where the orgy happened, but I think I was the one who started it. And then Chase soaked up enough energy from it that he changed, and his essence got so strong, so fast, that he lost control of it. She looked over at Chase, her eyes gleaming with unfallen tears. I'm so sorry, Chase. You got thrown into this with no chance to prepare. That's my fault. Chase looked down at the floor, nodded slowly. It's okay, ma'am. I think I probably wouldn't ever have been ready for something like this. And at least you were there to help me when I lost control. Kishani shot a questioning look at John. Kate absorbed the lust storm, John explained. Since everyone was apparently hell-bent on telling the truth, at least he could keep them from making themselves out to be villains in the process. She took the essence in, held it, and later she gave it to me. I've never been trained to handle a lust storm, but she did it like it was second nature. It was, Kishani said quietly. She has Grandmother Mariah's gift. Amazing. She shook her head, as if in wonder. I'm sorry if people got hurt, ma'am, Chase said. I never wanted any of this. I'd undo it if I could. 
He hesitated, then asked, Can I undo it? The question seemed to shake Kashani out of her reverie. She regarded Chase sadly. I'm sorry, Mr. Tomley. Once an incubus transforms, there's no way to reverse it. You're a Daedra now. You're going to have to learn how to live with that. She spread her hands. We can teach you the rules for living in mortal society. We can connect you with some resources to educate yourself. But honestly, if you want to learn how to control your abilities, Mr. H here can tell you a lot more than I can. She smiled briefly at John, who returned it. Chase sighed heavily. Yeah, I guess I figured that. Emily squeezed his hand and leaned into him a little. It'll be okay, she assured him. We'll figure it out. Kate spoke up again. Agent Kashani, is everyone from the party going to be all right? We heard that Janet Vickers ended up in the hospital. That's true, Agent Kashani admitted. She was very weak when the police arrived, and the hospital held her overnight for observation, but she's going to be fine. She raised her eyebrows, looking pointedly at Kate, John, and Chase in turn. Which is a good thing, because otherwise this conversation would have gone very differently. I have no doubt, John said. The hospital administered emergency contraception to Vickers, the Lightbringer said, so you don't have to worry about Mr. Tomley getting her pregnant. I think we can chalk this up to a learning experience. She turned back to Kate and Chase. But please, learn from it. Figure out how to control your powers, preferably without causing more chaos in the process. We'll work on it, Kate promised. She glanced over at John. I think I might have to call my grandma Starson. Janus gave me her number, but I've been putting it off. That's a good idea, John said. For later. The last thing we need is more people involved in this. As if on cue, a ground car came screeching around the corner and into the Lightbringer's parking lot. John and everyone else turned their heads at the noise. Oh, Eli, Chase whispered. The car bounced one wheel over the curb on its way in, pulled up crookedly into the nearest parking spot, and came to a halt with a squeal of brakes. The driver's side door flew open, and a woman jumped out. She was relatively tall, in early middle age, and had an appealingly generous figure, with a large bosom and the hips and buttocks to match. Her hair was a wild, frizzy mane of bright red curls. She wore a fur-lined, puffy coat of a vivid electric blue, and a close-fitting dress of an equally bright red-and-white floral print. Her round, attractive face bore more makeup than John normally thought prudent, and from the bruised raccoon look of her smeared eyeshadow and mascara, she had evidently been crying. It made her bright, fierce blue eyes look like they were almost glowing with rage. She threw open the front doors with a forceful shove of both hands, turned her sharp-eyed glare on Agent Kashani, and demanded... Where is my son? And that's the end of chapter 24. Come back next time when Margaret Tomley gives the Lightbringers a piece of her mind. C.K. Webb said, Most people carry their demons around with them, buried down deep inside. Writers wrestle their demons to the surface, 
fling them onto the page, then call them characters. So let's see what demons I've wrestled with this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of August 22nd through August 28th. I wrote 4,514 words this week, over the course of six hours, for an average writing speed of 752 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 133 days without breaking my chain. This week in Honor Bound, I moved back to Natasha's perspective, as she helps Honor to process her disappointment and frustration over the way things are going with Alex. This is an opportunity for me to show the differences in emotional maturity between the 18-year-old Honor and the 24-year-old Natasha. At the same time, though, it also puts Natasha in a conflicted position. After all, when Honor is sexually and romantically frustrated, she goes to Natasha for intimacy and release. If Honor ever gets to the point where she's in a stable and healthy relationship with one of her noble peers— that might put their arrangement in jeopardy. Natasha must come to terms with the fact that doing what's best for your partner sometimes means making yourself more vulnerable. I'm having a lot of fun exploring the relationship dynamics between these characters and seeing how they change and flow over the course of the book. I'm now in Chapter 22, and the manuscript is over 55,000 words. And now, the feedback. Leo writes, Hello, Chris. Thank you for your continued work to provide safe, entertaining, challenging, and inspiring fiction for us during these difficult times. I also wanted to thank you for the gracious way you described fringe Christianity in Chapter 16 of Homecoming. I come from a very strict, very controlling Christian background that also avoided a lot of the external world through a fear of the devil and thus did not welcome any criticism of the church leadership or an accountability process from outside the community, other than what was strictly necessary for taxation purposes. Hearing the points John made to himself about the philosophical-slash-religious context Chase is coming from helped put something in words clearer than I was able to explain to my current community. Your words were a gift. Cheers, Leo. Thank you very much, Leo. Homecoming was an unexpectedly personal story for me, and it gave me a chance to showcase a lot of the different forms that faith can take, for good and ill. We have the quiet, steady faith of Sam and Lisa, which isn't overt or showy, but grounds them in principles of kindness, service, and generosity toward others. We have the missional, evangelistic faith of John, who uses it to combat his own elitist instincts, and wants to help others find the freedom to be themselves. We have the hateful, fear-filled religion of the Redeemer sect, which sees everything strange and different as a threat to be destroyed, and we have the less extreme rebuilder denomination that Chase belongs to, which is outwardly kind and loving, but shot through with deep veins of guilt, fear, repression, and neurosis. Next week, we'll hear from Chase's mother, Margaret, and we'll see yet another expression of faith. That's all I'll say about that for now. As you've probably guessed, Chase's experience with religion is closest to what I encountered in my own childhood. Sam and Lisa's faith is closest to where I am now, 
or at least where I try to be. I owe a lot to the wise, kind, and patient teaching of my pastors at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley, California, and Good Shepherd Lutheran Church of Verona, Wisconsin. Over the last 12 years, these two communities helped me understand that my faith didn't have to look like the sort of white, evangelical, consumerist Christianity that I had been raised in. There were other traditions that ran older and deeper, that charted a course closer to what I perceived as the heart of God. Chase is a reflection of who I was as a younger man, before I began that journey of discovery. He has a lot to unlearn, but fortunately, he has some good people in his life to help him. Thanks again for the message. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082 followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.